Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Rosie. If you guys don't know me already, um, I help lead this site of CCM. So that, that is my job um, for three days of the week. And so I basically meet up with students, meet up with all you guys, and do other sort of churchy, admin-y bits. And then two days of the week, I'm trying to start a new site of this church, which is hopefully going to be in Spanish and English, so a bilingual um, site of CCM, which would be really cool. So if we've got any Spanish speakers here this evening, I'd love to chat to you more about that. Um, in our evening services over the last few weeks, we've started um, a new series um, called Ten Rules for Life, and we're learning from the story of King David um, in the Old Testament. And we've learned so far that we cannot be fooled by outside appearances and the fact that God looks at the heart. And then last week, uh, we heard from Tom, who taught a brilliant sermon on how the small things prepare us for the bigger things. Um, and this evening, we're going to have a look at one of my favourite topics. Uh, we're going to focus on um, King David's heart for worship. Now, this was something that set King David apart from other biblical characters, his desire to worship God. David was a musician, and he hungered for the presence of God. He very often spent time alone, singing songs of worship, writing songs of worship. Um, we read about him at a really young age as well, being called to, to, the king's, uh, to King Saul's court to play and soothe him. So he was really well known for his musical abilities, David wrote around half of the psalms that we find in the Bible, and these, these psalms are essentially like poems um, or songs that really show the true range of human emotion that David experienced. And sometimes they can feel a little bit too personal, almost like reading David's diary. It's clear that he, as a person, felt joy, um, celebration, despair, anger, rage, guilt, regret. He was very, very human as a man. Um, but crucially, David knew that whatever he was feeling, the best thing he could do uh, was bring it to God and worship him. And our psalm um, that we're going to look at this evening is one of those psalms. So it's Psalm 34. So if you have your Bible with you um, or you've got it on an app on your phone, feel free to read along with me. So starting at verse 1, it says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. 
The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants, no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Now there's quite a lot going on in this psalm. I warned you that um, David is quite an emotional guy. And tonight we're going to basically unpack three things from this psalm which I think are unmissable. The first thing is that worship helps us to keep our focus. Second, we must worship because it's what we were made for. And then finally, we must make worship a part of our routine in order to stay spiritually healthy. I'm sure pretty much all of us here will have come across someone at some point in our lives who just loves to complain and obsess and to worry. No matter what good things wash into their lives, they have an insane ability to focus on the bad. I knew someone once who used to do this with churches they visited. Um, after going to a church service, they'd bring me up and they'd say, yeah, it was, it was good, it was all right. I mean, not great. And then they'd list kind of all the imperfections um, about the worship set or the quality of the coffee. Or perhaps you've come across someone who seemingly has everything, um, but still just cannot be satisfied with what they have. And is just constantly complaining or worrying about what they don't yet have. And this can become a problem for us as Christians as well. Um, we can fall into the trap of fixating, um, obsessing and complaining about things. We begin to lose our focus. Over time, we can develop a very small view of God. Our anxieties become bigger, our emotions more overwhelming, and the things that keep us up at night all the more dominating. We forget that we worship a very big God. And this is what King David begins with in his psalm. So for some context, uh, when David wrote this psalm, he was quite literally on the run from King Saul. He'd gone to a place called the city of Goth, but found nowhere safe to stay there um, and very narrowly escaped. After that, David went to a cave at a place called Adullam, where many other desperate refugee men joined him in this cave. And this is where we find David in this psalm. He was in a dire situation every reason he had to complain, to obsess, and to worry about his life. But crucially, David had seen God move before. He'd seen God deliver him from situations before, and so he chooses to bring his mind back into focus. And the psalm seems to have been written from this cave, and the first thing that David writes is, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Another word for extol is to celebrate. David is saying, I celebrate the Lord. Really, David, right now? Even in this situation that he'd found himself in, David was able to and determined to continue his life of worship. He regarded worshipping God as the act of magnifying God. Verse 3 says, glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. So in some other translations, um, it says magnify the Lord with me. And to magnify God um, means to make God larger in one's perception. When you magnify something, it doesn't actually make the object any bigger, and we can't make God any bigger than he already is. But to magnify something or someone is to perceive it as bigger, and this psalm is a constant call to do just that. Now, I reckon that the majority of us here this evening, if not all of us, could probably think of something that you're worried about in this moment right now. 
perhaps it's something big or small, but it's playing on your mind. Maybe you're worried about settling into life in Manchester, um, or you've got a relationship problem or a financial issue, or perhaps you're a little bit more existential and you're worried about what your life will look like 10 years from now. And I want us just to imagine for a second that for some crazy five seconds, we could all supernaturally see God right here in this room in Fallowfield. I wonder, would we be really thinking um, about those things that we're worried about in those five seconds? I don't really think it would come up. I think, in fact, I'm not sure we would be thinking about that thing for the next week or the next month or maybe even for the rest of our lives. Now, I don't know what it would physically involve to see God, um, but throughout the Bible, whenever people have seen God, it says that they fainted or they've fallen down on their faces. We don't worship a small God. Our perspective of him might be small, but he is, in fact, a very big God, and it's clear that David knew this. Problem is, when we have a small vision of God, we become ungrateful and worried and more focused on what we don't have. And David shows us here that the solution is not to look deeper at our problems, it's to look beyond that and to see God on his throne. The truth that this psalm demonstrates for us is that no matter how many bad things can make their way into our lives or how many valid reasons we might have to fear or to complain, we can be people who focus on the good and we can do this through worship. So the first thing that David teaches us is that worship helps us to lift our eyes from ourselves and our problems and focus on the truth of who God is. In verse 4, David writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Really, David, all your fears? Not only was David hiding in a cave right now and was on the run, but previous to this, his own family and friends had been captured and then his own people turned on him and tried to stone him to death. So you could argue that God had not yet delivered David from everything he feared. I don't really understand how he could have written those words. But the truth is that God had delivered David for that day, for today. Faith in a sovereign and gracious God freed David to rejoice and give thanks in today's deliverance, today's victory and today's mercy, even while tomorrow's troubles still pressed in his mind. Worship helps us to focus even in the midst of pain. A few years ago, I was living abroad and I was spending really long periods of time just by myself in a room and a project that I'd gone to work for had essentially fallen apart and so there wasn't really anything for me to do. Um, and I didn't know anyone, I didn't really understand the language either. And I remember the first two weeks of being there, I used to wake up in the morning and the first thing I would do when I opened my eyes was just start crying because um, I didn't want to be there. And I was quite overwhelmed by loneliness. Um, for me, singing songs of worship became a morning habit that was born out of my emotions being strongest when I woke up in the morning. Um, I always felt most overwhelmed when I first woke up knowing that I had a whole day ahead. And so I made the decision to fill that time with singing. And at first it felt super counterintuitive to sing songs about how good God was to me when I didn't feel that way whatsoever. But eventually as I repeated these songs and essentially told myself the truth every morning, I could feel God's love coming back into focus. My situation did not change. However, my feeling of being out of control and afraid really did. As I sat on the end of my bed um, each morning and spent just extended periods of time losing myself in God's presence, I began to understand what the gift of worship really is. 
And this is what David has cottoned on to here in this psalm, that despite whatever is going on in life, worship brings us back to a place where we can see the truth of who God is, and that changes everything for us. As some of you might know here, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, But when I was 12, I was more than a fan. I was a worshipper of Taylor Swift. Um, You could not tell what the colour of my bedroom walls were, because it was just her face, just everywhere. (laughs) And I still remember my first Taylor Swift concert. It was the Fearless Tour. Um, I was 13 and stood in the furthest back row of Wembley Stadium with my my mum. And I remember seeing just the tiny, tiny dot outline of her um, getting on the stage. And I was just so, so excited, just doing this absolute death scream and singing every single word. I desperately wanted just to get closer, though, and just to feel like I I could get a better look or feel like I was in the same room as her, Um, not just staring at this huge screen. Um, Being in the back row wasn't really enough. We are all made to worship something, and we do. Whether it's money, relationships, careers, family, celebrities, you could even worship your pet. Um, We cannot escape it because we were designed to do it. But we weren't meant to be worshipping something that that doesn't know us um, or remotely care about us. We will be left feeling underwhelmed and pretty empty when we do. And this is because we were designed to worship a God who knows us so intimately, who is with us in every moment and was even willing to die for us because he loved us that much. So the second thing I think we can take from King David here in this psalm is that we worship God because it's what we were made for. Verses 9 and 10 of our psalm say, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. When we worship, we discover the all-sufficiency of Christ. Now, that sounds um, quite churchy, but essentially what it means is that when we worship, we realise that we have everything we need in God. We have enough peace. We have enough joy. We have enough perspective to just get us through the day ahead of us. David writes, those who fear him lack nothing. And he says it again in an earlier psalm that he wrote, Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. David has recognised that God is enough for him. Worship is what we were designed to do because it realigns us with the truth. Isaiah 43 verse 10 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. God has primarily designed us to be in relationship with him and understand who he is. Before he's called us to do anything, he just wants us to know him. And we truly know him when we worship him. Dane Ortland wrote, What's the meaning of everything? What's the goal for our small and ordinary lives? It is to glorify God. After all, what else is there? We are pieces of art designed to be beautiful and draw attention to our artist. When we live to glorify God, we step into the only truly humanizing way of living. We function properly like a car running on petrol rather than orange juice. Worship is not just a supplementary activity amongst other quite important things. It is the most important thing we can do with our time. We worship because it's what we were made for. I have lived with my lovely housemate Beth for over two years now, and one of the best things about living with Beth 
is her insane cooking skills. If anyone has been lucky enough to taste um, the homemade bao buns that Beth makes, you are a very blessed individual. Um, and I could rave about these bao buns, no end. I could even invite you over to have some with us. But unless you come and actually taste these bao buns for yourself, you will never truly be able to understand how good they are. David in this psalm is getting at the same point, although not about Beth's cooking. Um, he invites us to come and experience the love of God. Verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Tasting is something that no one else can do for you. And I think David has used this word to really urge us and invite us to experience God for ourselves. We can't just listen to other people's experience of their private time with God. We've got to taste and see for ourselves. Francis Chan said, There's something that's so good for us in not just talking about God or discussing God, but just beholding him, and worship enables us to do this. And the fact is that the more we worship, the more we want to. It's like exercising a muscle. The more we work on it and discipline ourselves with it, the easier and more natural it becomes. Something I've been discovering this year um, is that I live by many rules. We all do, whether we're aware of it or not. We follow the rules of the road. We follow rules in our jobs. We even follow social rules and etiquette. But in the last year, I've been uncovering some rules that perhaps we can live by unconsciously in our minds. Perhaps we live by the rule, I have to earn love. Or maybe it's, I must be perfect to become a Christian. Or maybe it's I have to dress a certain way or I must prove myself in this area. However, when Jesus came, he died so that we, we could have freedom from all these things. We no longer have to earn his love or affection for us. He is constantly positioned towards us and smiling at us. And the beautiful thing about worship is that when we do it, we give God the opportunity to speak life and truth into the dead places of our hearts into those beliefs and rules that we might carry. However, this is not a quick and easy formula. It's not like we can just stick a hill song, song on and suddenly we feel amazing. But what David is demonstrating to us is that as we make worship a daily practice, a habit that shapes our lives, we will begin to see more of what God sees and less of what our humanly minds might see. Since my time abroad and having learned about the power of worship in my everyday, I've really enjoyed using worship as a tool and a mechanism just to bring my, my mind off of myself and onto God. But I can safely say that throughout the, the lockdowns, this routine was totally disrupted, and I kind of felt like I'd lost my, my worship um, routine. But over that time, I realized that God was kind of wanting to show me new ways of worshiping him and meditating on who he is. I started walking around my local park and just thanking God under my breath for things as silly as nice leaves or a cute dog. Worship doesn't have to be you sitting on your bed, singing your heart out. In fact, I'm not necessarily sure God would appreciate that from all of us. Um, worship is taking time in your day to lift your eyes in whatever practical way um, that might look like for you. Maybe it's walking around the park and thanking God for what you see. Maybe it's calling a friend um, and having a conversation about God, or maybe it's reading a book that celebrates the truth of who God is. If we can begin to build private times of worship into our daily routines, we are not only doing something that is so good for us, but we are investing in the future. We're building a relationship with God 
that is durable and can withstand all the different things that life throws at us. So my challenge for you all this week um, is just why not think about a time or a place in your week that you can set aside to spend worshipping God? Maybe try and just figure out what works best for you and just see how your perspective shifts as you begin to worship God and look up to see what he's doing in your life. I'm just going to pray as we finish. Yeah, Lord God, we thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you that we are able to connect with you and taste your goodness. I pray that you would give us all a new thirst, even here just this evening, God. Would you, would you visit us? Would you give us um, a new desire just to, to be in your presence like David had? A new desire just to lose ourselves in loving you. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son who made a way for us to freely worship um, without shame, without having to meet any, any standard. Um, yeah, God, I pray that you would meet with us this week as we, as we endeavour to worship you more. I pray for, for new ideas for people to have new ideas about how they can worship you and that as we do this week, we would experience and taste something of your goodness, of your love for us, God. Amen.